Sarah and I um, were out of town. We're sitting on 100 acres in the woods, sitting by this five-acre, they call it a lake. It's not a lake. It's a five-acre pond. Um, and we were reading the word. We were sharing what God was teaching each of us. And um, it was just this beautiful time. And I, and I kind of got the sense that, like, we were doing church. It was just this kind of cool thing. And, and as we were sitting there doing church, um, I started thinking about the fact that, like, a lot of people would be here last week doing the very same thing. And it was just this kind of cool reminder how big God is and how powerful God is. And um, it was cool. So I share that basically just as a as kind of a, it was just a cool reminder to be away for a week and to think of you guys here doing the same thing that we were doing. Um, so in any case, but if you were here last week, Kevin um, preached, and he preached on Acts chapter 10. And if you've been around, we've been going through the book of Acts. And um, he preached on Acts chapter 10, and today, actually, we're going to talk about um, Acts chapter 11, but I feel like it, it, it's kind of Acts chapter 10 ends like kind of with a to be continued. And so it is super important that we understand the people, the story, the settings, but also that we really understand the culture in order to really dive into what we're going to talk about today in Acts chapter 11. So um, I'm going to prepare you. The introduction is going to be long, but don't freak out thinking he's done like an introduction for 30 minutes. Oh, no, we're going to be sitting here until after lunch. We won't be. It'll be fine. Um, but the intro is going to be pretty long, okay? So in order for us to really understand Acts chapter 11, we must understand Acts chapter 10. We've got to talk about the people, the story, the settings, and especially the culture of what was happening in this day and age. So first thing, Cornelius, we mean the guy by the name of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, and, and he's this Roman ar uh, officer in the Roman army. He's God-fearing, and he's a Gentile. He's not Jewish, okay? And he gets this message from the Lord. An angel of the Lord says to him, says, your, your prayers have been answered. Send men to Joppa to find Peter and bring him back with you. And as Kevin shared last week, like he gets up and he obeys immediately. And you see this, this cool thing of quick obedience. And so he obeys. And then, then, then he sends these people. And while the people are about to get to Joppa where Peter is, Peter just so happens to be sitting on the roof and he's praying. Um, and he receives this vision from the Lord. And it's like a sheet comes down from heaven. It has all sorts of animals on it. And the voice says, kill and eat these. And Peter says, no, these animals are unclean. But the voice says, do not call something unclean that God has made clean. And this vision happens three times. And now in the Old Testament, there were certain animals that you couldn't eat. And so he immediately, when he, had, when he receives this vision, I think that he immediately realizes what God is saying is that those meats that were considered unclean are not unclean anymore, which is awesome because now we can eat bacon. So, um, so that's really good. Um, but then he's still kind of perplexed, wondering about the meaning of this vision of these, this sheet coming down with animals and unclean. And, and then the Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, go down and meet the man that are looking for you and go with them. And it says, and make no distinction. And so he comes down, and there's three guys there, and he obeys immediately. And now this is a really, really big deal. The reason why this is such a big deal is because the guys that he's going with are Gentiles. They're not Jewish people, whereas Peter is Jewish. And so this is a huge deal. And in Acts chapter 10 from last week, verse 28, it says, Don't you guys know that it is against our laws to associate with the Gentiles? 
But, but we need to understand that the, the Old Testament of the Bible didn't say that Jewish people should not hang out with Gentiles, but it had kind of become the tradition of the fathers. It had kind of become this thing where we as Jewish people, we do not hang out with Gentiles. But there is a really, really, really long story that I'll try to make really, really fast as to why that was the case. If you go all the way back in the history of um, Christianity, of Judaism, you go all the way back and you get to a guy by the name of Noah. Everybody remember Noah, Noah and the ark? And so Noah, Noah has three kids. And so God repopulates the world through Noah and his kids. And he has three kids, okay? Of those kids, one of them's name is Ham. Stick with me. Ham has several kids that leads to the nations in Egypt, Canaan, Babel, Assyria, which also has Nineveh. So Ham's kids, that, that's who Ham's kids are, right? Well, then Shem, one of the other kids, he has his kids, and one of them turn out through the distance of time, Abraham. And so if you remember, God comes to Abraham in the beginning, in like Genesis 12-ish or so, and says, I want you to go to a faraway land. I will make you a great nation. You will be a blessing. And what happened is over time, the Jews began to see themselves as the children of blessing and everyone else as a child of a curse. So it started that they started to view themselves as um, blessed, as the children of the promise, which was true, but the others as a curse. And it started to, to build in this pride, this um, elitism, and it led to them being racist toward non-Jews. It led to them having prejudice toward certain people. It led to discrimination. And they forgot that the Jews, they were given a blessing so that they could be a blessing to all people, to all nations. That's what God tells Abraham. And then when the covenant extends to Isaac, it says the same thing. When it extends to Jacob, it says the same thing. You received a blessing so that you would bless all people. But over time, they forgot that. They viewed themselves to be a blessing and others to be a curse. You can see that, which, which Kevin alluded to last week, I believe, you can see that especially in the book of Jonah. Remember Jonah and the whale? Shark, whale, whatever you want to refer to it as, Jonah. Um, what happens? He gets swallowed up in the belly of a fish, right? But why does that happen? It's because God says to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, the land of the Assyrians, to, you, to your enemies, to the, to the Gentiles, and tell them about God's love and his forgiveness and his coming wrath that they may repent. And Jonah doesn't want to do it. Why doesn't he want to do it? Because he's Jewish and those people are unclean. Why would I want to go to unclean people, to common people? So he disobeys. See, the nation of Israel, the Jews, they were given this blessing so that they would be a blessing to all people, but they, they weren't doing that. They were filled with pride and with racism. It continues to go on and um, not only after the book of Jonah, but in Isaiah. Isaiah, the prophet, is reminding the Jewish people in chapter 42 that you are supposed to be a light to the nations, that we as Jews, that we would open the eyes to the blind, we'd bring the prisoners from the dungeons. It goes on in, in Isaiah chapter 49. We are to be the Jews. We are to be a light so that salvation reaches to the ends of the earth. But they didn't. Not long after that, 
you remember even from two chapters ago, the Jews also, not only did they hate the Gentiles, they hated the Samaritans. Well, this, this story is not quite as long with, the, with them. Samaritans, um, if you remember uh, King David, King Saul, King Solomon, all that stuff, after that, the kingdom of Israel splits. There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. In the northern kingdom, they, they make a, um, the capital, it's Samaria. And in Samaria, what happens is the Jews begin marrying Gentiles. And so the Jews start viewing these people as half-breeds, as dirty dogs. And so in this text that we're going to read about, it's very, understand, very important that we understand the culture. In this culture, the Jews were extremely racist. They hated non-Jews. So it goes on, they also then hate the quote-unquote half-Jews, as they would refer to them, the dirty dogs, the half-breeds. And so when the good news of the gospel in, in Acts chapter 9 goes to Samaria, the Jews are kind of like, okay, this, that's ridiculous. This is a little too much, but now it's going to the Gentiles. This is like huge, huge, big deal. So we pick up, and Peter has this vision, right? that there's no animal that's unclean, but he's pondering, he's feeling like there's maybe more to this message. Maybe there's more to this. But what's so cool, and, and I'm going to kind of soapbox here for a second. What's so cool about how God works, so um, push a pause and all that stuff. I'll, I'll remind you where you're at, but you can subtract from that for a second. Think about how God works to, to reveal this to Peter. He gives him this vision. But if you think even deeper about Peter's life, what happens in Peter's life? Jesus comes to Peter and says, you're going to deny me three times. And then Peter says, I'll never deny you. I'll, I'll die with you if I have to. So then what happens is Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, three people, away and says, pray that you will not enter temptation. And they start to pray, but they fall asleep. Jesus comes back, says, I said, pray that you will not enter into temptation, and they fall asleep. And it happens three times. So three times Jesus says, you're going to deny me. Three times he's supposed to pray that he won't enter temptation, and he doesn't. And then what happens? He does. He denies Jesus three times. And then if you remember in John chapter 21, God, Jesus comes to, to Peter, and he says, do you love me? And he says, you know I love you. He says, well, then tend my lamb. Feed my lamb, I think is what it actually is. And and he says, uh, Peter, do you love me? He's, and Peter's like, dude, why are you asking me a second time? You know I love you. And he says, well, then tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And Peter's broken because God, Jesus has asked him three times, do you love me? So think about this in Peter's life. Three times, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times. No, I won't. Pray that you will not enter in temptation three times. Doesn't. What happens? He denies Jesus three times. Jesus shows up to him, do you love me, three times. Something powerful happens in, in Jesus' life, and he's, or in Peter's life, and he's kind of reinstated back into the church. He's, he's reinstated to, to be the rock. And now he's sitting there on a roof, and he has a vision three times. It's just this cool thing that God does to give him this vision. Like, there's, like I want you to understand that this is from me is I think what Jesus is saying to him. So then he gets it, right? He gets it, the food thing, right? He gets that we can have bacon now. That's awesome. But then what happens? Jesus says, the Holy Spirit says to Peter, I want you to go down and go with the men who are here to get you. There were three men. 
So when Peter comes down off of the roof, he realizes this message is not just about food. There is something much deeper to this vision that I received. And he's pondering it, trying to figure out what it is. And so he goes with these common, unclean people. What I think happens in that moment is Peter realizes what the vision is about is that there are no people who are to be considered common or unclean. What he sees is this. If you think about, if you think about the, the term common, what does it mean? Common means that it's, there's nothing special about it. How easy is it for us as people to look at someone and think that there's nothing special about them? Not unique, a lacking value or worth. And Peter realizes what God is telling me through this is not only that we can eat meat now, but God is telling me that there is no person who is common or unclean. People aren't, shouldn't be considered dirty or filthy or impure or gross. And what I think he begins to realize is the tradition of his fathers, this racism that was happening in his day and age, is wrong and it is from the pit of hell. goes on and scripture teaches us in, Act, in Titus 3.2 that we should speak evil of no one, that we should show perfect courtesy toward all people. I think what happens in this moment is that Peter realizes that we should speak evil of no one and that we should show perfect courtesy toward all people. I think what he begins to realize is the pride, the ethnic elitism and the racism that his people were, were struggling with is wrong. that Jesus died for that. He sees that God does not show partiality or distinction. That this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all people. So he goes with them. He goes to this guy Cornelius' house, and when he gets to the house, what's the setting like? The setting is, it's Cornelius, it's Cornelius' family, it's Cornelius' friends, and then it's Peter, and Peter takes with him six of his brothers. He's going into this unclean person's house, according to the tradition of his fathers, but he realized this is not the way that it should be. The tradition of the fathers, to have these feelings toward other people is wrong, and so he goes, and not only does he associate with these people, he shares the good news of Jesus with them. He shows them love, grace, and mercy. And they believe. The whole household believe. And they're baptized and they receive the Holy Spirit. And guess what? News of this goes, spreads like crazy. This news that Jesus came for all people, for all races, for all religions, for all tribes, for all languages, for the color of the skin doesn't matter this good news is for everyone. Well, when we flip into Acts chapter 11, we're going to talk about today three things. One, what happens next? Two, how does this revolutionize the church? And three, what does this mean for us today? If you have your Bible, you can flip open to Acts chapter 11, verse 1 through 18. This is what the Bible says. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea, heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, or the Jewish believers, 
uh, criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men, you went to Gentiles, and you ate with them. But Peter began and explained to them, in order, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And all was drawn up again into heaven, and behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me, go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered a man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you the message by which you will be saved, you and your, all of your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Let's pray. God, I, um, I pray that you will speak to the deepest parts of our hearts. I pray that you will remind us in our hearts that you know us more than we know ourselves. So God, I pray that as we talk through your word that you will um, teach us, that you will rebuke us, that you will correct us, and you will train us in righteousness through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Acts chapter 10, we see that this good news is for all people, but what happens next? Not everybody likes that. So Peter is, is, is hanging out with some of these, these Jewish believers, and they're like, how would you go to this dude's house? Like, forget the fact that you even, like, ate with them. Forget the fact that you showed them love, you showed them grace, you showed them mercy, that you shared your faith with them, that you prayed with them to receive Christ. How did you even go to their house? That's how deep the, the pride and the, the elitism, the racism ran in this culture. How would you even go to their house? And Peter just tells him what happens. And he says this really cool thing. He says, I went, and this is what happened, the Holy Spirit. And who was I that I could stand in God's way? If God wants to save these people, who was I to stand in the way? But then if you know much about the Bible, you continue reading throughout, and you get to Galatians chapter 2. And in Galatians chapter 2, let me tell you what happens. Peter is hanging out with Gentile believers. This is years later in a city called Antioch. He's hanging out with, with Gentile believers, and then some Jewish believers come, and what happens? Peter, Peter begins pulling away from his Gentile brothers and sisters, and he begins spending much more time with his 
Jewish brothers and sisters to the point that Paul confronts him about it. He says, what are you doing? You're showing partiality. It continues to go on in the book of James. It talks about showing partiality toward rich or poor. So what we see is what happens next. Not everybody likes it, and even the people who like it can still sometimes struggle with it. You know, sometimes I think that when we, we, we come to the Bible, we view the disciples as these, like, perfect people, but they still struggled. And I think that God gives us this beautiful picture in this for us to see that Peter, in, in Galatians chapter 2, still is kind of struggling with this thought and how he was raised and this thing that was bred into him, this, this racism that was bred into him from a young age. It was sitting dormant in his heart. One of the things I think that we can see in this text when we think through what happens next is that oftentimes years and years of thoughts, our upbringing, things we see on the news, things we hear, gives us a view of things and that, do, that view doesn't always fall away quickly. It can be pride, elitism, racism. It, it can run deep. So that's number one. Well, that's what happened next. How did this revolutionize the church? Well, if you really think about the fact that we, in America, know the name of Jesus, it revolutionized the church because a lot of people, a lot of Jews who had received this goodness of the gospel went. They were, they were witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, at the ends of the earth, so much so that we are here today. So the fact that we are here today says that this, this, this break of what God does in this, that this, this is good news for all people, it revolutionized the world. However, if you take a quick look at history, it didn't end racism. It didn't end ethnic elitism. It also didn't end sexism. It didn't end ageism. So not everybody liked it, but it revolutionized the world. It revolutionized the church, but in some ways it did, and in other ways it didn't. People have used the name of Jesus to spread hate. People have used the name of Christ to spread racist attitudes. So on one hand, it powerfully and radically revolutionized the world, revolutionized the church. In another way, I don't think it did. I think that if we are all really honest, I think that we would confess that there are people or people groups that we have a hard time wanting to be around. I think that we could confess that the way that certain people smell can distract us and we can want to steer away from them. I think that we can show partiality, we can make distinction, and it may be very subtle, it may be subconscious, it may be um, you know, hidden in our hearts and in our minds. We may rationalize it. But again, I think that if we're honest, it may be the color of someone's skin. Maybe the language they speak or the accent they have. The clothes that they wear or the way that they wear those clothes. 
Maybe the culture they're from, it may be our perception of how much money they have or don't have, but what can happen is, is that we can show partiality, that we can make distinction. There are people that we cannot want to associate with. There are other languages that we may not want to um, show love, grace, mercy. There may be some cultures that we think of unclean. I got to confess to you that I would not have thought that this particular message would kick my butt like it has. I confess to you that I have been guilty of saying if someone is in the United States, they should learn to speak English. How does that show the love of Christ? I have seen clothes that people will wear have immediately thought certain things about them as individuals. I think that we all have. So when we come to this text, what does it mean for us today? I think it is a very real possibility that we have the seeds of the sin of discrimination in our hearts. I think that it is a very real possibility that we are not treating all people with perfect courtesy. I believe just like um, Paul said to Peter, that we cannot keep in step with the gospel by the way that we treat people. I think it could be so deep that we don't even really see it. I can think it can be so deep that we've never actually acknowledged it. And again, it may be subtle by the way that we stereotype people. It may be the prejudice that we feel. It may be the ideas or the opinions that we have about a person before even knowing them. But here's the thing. What does this mean for us today? Is If we even in a very, very, very small subtle way can struggle with this, how much will that affect how we live out the Great Commission? If I have a bias in my heart toward a person of a certain color, of a certain race, or a woman, or of a man, if I have this in my heart, how can I live out the great news of Jesus Christ to go and make disciples of all nations if I don't want to even associate with someone? How can I be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth if there are certain people groups that I don't want to even talk to? I think that what can happen is we can almost, without even knowing it, this is going on in our hearts, and without even knowing it, we withhold the gospel from people. Without even knowing it, we withhold our time, our love, or our mercy, or our grace from someone. We can begin to view that there are certain people that are not worth our time, our money, or our energy. I think that if we are all really, really, really open and honest, that this is something that many of us struggle with. Again, it may be subtle, it may be subconscious, we may hide it, we may rationalize it, but I believe even it can become concealed in the fabric of society. If you think about Peter, he was just thinking and feeling what his culture told him was normal for his whole life. There's this song, um, guy that 
uh, wrote the song and sings it. His name is Brett Denon. And in the song, he says, I have slavery stitched into the fabric of my clothes. Again, I think it just becomes so ingrained in life. It's just the tradition of the fathers that there's this, this, this racism, this hatred, there's this discrimination that we can all struggle with. We can have partiality. And it goes both ways. Sarah and I were talking about this the other day. Um, you know, you could be really like, you know, I see someone who's struggling and who's in poverty, I'm quick to go to them. But I see someone who's rich, psh, or it can go that other way. Like, oh, they're rich. Yeah, I want to go to them, but not to the poor person. As Christians, we should not be making distinction or showing partiality. We should not be withholding the gospel from people. Just as what Peter says in this, he says, who am I that I could stand in God's way? It's God who's working, and it's God who should be leading us to who to talk to. And, but I think that it's a very real possibility that we, we can struggle with some of these things. I think that we can also um, have biases in our heart that can affect how we treat people that struggle with addiction. Can uh, shape how we treat the homeless. How we treat people with special needs. How we treat people of a variety of ages. I think when we struggle with this and we live it out, we are doing exactly what those Jews in that culture and that time frame are doing. Peter says, how are we to stand in God's way? But I think that when we, when we do this, and again, it's so subtle, but when we do it, what happens is we are trying to stand in God's way. We're not showing perfect courtesy to our people. We're not keeping in step with the gospel. And I think that this text that we're reading today it's not only showing us, but I think that it is screaming to us that Jesus came for all people that all have value, that none should be treated as unclean, that everyone was created by God, that all people are our neighbor. I think even as Christians, we can do this. We don't want to be associated with non-Christians. I think if you, if you really look at kind of a graph of a person's first couple years of coming to know Jesus, they almost immediately lose every relationship that they used to have, and they become so in, in, in Christian relationship, they don't even really know anybody who's non-Christian. They don't even associate with them. They don't spend time with them. And if that's the case, then how can you share Jesus with them? I think that we as believers can oftentimes struggle. I think I, I confess to you that I realized this week that I struggle with it far, far more than I would have thought, that we can make distinction. We can show partiality where God does not. I want to share um, a story with you. Many of you know Randy and Dexter. Both of them grew up in a time frame where they probably should have certain thoughts or feelings toward each other. 
I think it's probably very possible that one or both of them even had family members that would have tried to ingrain in them that they should feel a certain way toward one another. Dexter um, has had quite a few stints in the hospital, and Randy has been quick to be there to, to hang out with him. And uh, Dexter always introduces Randy as his brother. And they've both said, you should see the looks of people's faces when we say that we're brothers. Randy was telling me a story about how they went to Walmart. They were going shopping, doing some stuff. And he said, you would not believe my brother Dexter. He just goes up to everybody, shakes their hands, says, how you doing? It's a beautiful day, isn't it? And he, all this different stuff. And he says, hey, have you ever met my brother Randy? <laughs> I think that the world is longing to see something different. I think the world is longing to see what you see in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, John is writing this through the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's writing this, and this is, he kind of has this view into heaven. Okay, So John writing the view of heaven, this is what it says. And after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. So he's seen into heaven a tremendous a number of people. You couldn't even count how many people there are. And then he says, they were from all tribes and all peoples and all languages. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I think that this world is longing to see in, in followers of Christ that we join hands with people of other languages, of other tribes, of other nations, that we join hands with people who have struggled with addiction, that we hold hands with those who are homeless. And they see that those in Christ love all people because we have a God who loves all people. That we as a people don't show partiality or distinction because our God doesn't show partiality or distinction. When we look through Acts chapter 11, to wrap this all up. This good news is for all people. But not everybody liked that. It radically revolutionized the church and the world. However, in some ways it didn't because prejudice, elitism, racism, stereotyping, discrimination against people still exists today. I think it's very possible that many of us here, deep in our hearts, still struggle with this. My prayer is, um, kind of what do we do about this? My prayer is that we allow the Lord to work in our heart, allow him to work in our minds. We allow him to explore the deep places. We try to lay ourselves bare before the Lord. And say, Lord, help me view other people the way that you view other people. As I was talking to Dexter this morning, he said, you know, when I first started coming here, everybody just loved on me. They didn't know me. He didn't say this, but 
He looks different than us. But he's not. He's a brother in Christ. I think that we as a church um, can, can, can almost get to a point to where we think that we're doing a good job at all this stuff. But my hope is, is no matter who it was that walks in that door, whether it's someone from any tribe, any tongue, any whatever, they will be treated as Randy felt that he was treated. Excuse me, that Dexter felt he has been treated as a brother. Let's pray. Father God, I am humbled by the fact that you would love me. God, you know the the thoughts that I have had. You know the attitudes of my heart, and yet you have lavished your love upon me. God, I thank you that although there was absolutely nothing good in me, that you extended your love and your grace to me. God, I thank you that it's not just because I did something that earned that. It wasn't because where I was born. It wasn't because the color of my skin. It wasn't because the language that I speak. It was because you are a loving and gracious and powerful and wonderful and mighty God who created all people and created them different created them unique, created them special, created them wonderful. You know the number of hairs on their head. They were fearfully and wonderfully made. And and God, you even now today want to take people from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation. And just as that vision, like a sheet came down with the animals on it and drew it back up into heaven, that your plan, your, your goal is that we would share you with all nations. We would make disciples of all nations. Your, your vision was that the disciples would, and that we even as disciples, that we would be your witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, because you want to reach down and get people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, and draw them into heaven. God, I pray that you will forgive me of the times in my heart of hearts and in my mind of how I show distinction how I show partiality. And God, I pray that you would just truly open up our hearts. That you would confront us with the truth of what's in our minds and what's in our hearts. But that we would be quick to experience your love and your grace and your mercy and that you would make us new. God, I pray that we would reflect you, a God who shows no partiality or no distinction. I pray, God, that we would prepare ourselves for eternity where we will join hands with people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, and where we will worship you because to you is who belongs salvation. It's you who has the keys to salvation. God, I pray that 
for anyone here who this is a deep struggle, I pray, God, that you will just lead them to repentance. I pray that you will continue to expose my own heart and draw me to repentance. Draw me to your love and your grace. I pray this in the name of Jesus.